Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, I want to start this morning with a reading of an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage before we engage in the passage that we're actually going to study this morning. And I know you were just seated, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me again out of respect for the Word. And I want to invite you to read these passages with me this morning as well. So will you see them on the screen? Will you add your voice to mine as we read them together? Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Now, a New Testament passage, Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. May God bless His words. You may be seated. And take your Bibles and go with me to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. And as you're turning there, I know it's been a while since we've been in Daniel with Easter and marriage matters and all those other things that have been happening, but I just want to kind of set the context for Daniel chapter 11, all right? And the first thing to tell you is this, that biblical prophecy is the telling of history prior to its happening. When we think of biblical prophecy, sometimes when we think of prophecy, we kind of think of maybe something like someone trying to tell us the future. Like, you know, when you go down to Ocean City, you walk up on the boardwalk, and there is a palm reader, and you can say, maybe I can learn something about what's going to happen today. You can't, all right? But, but that's kind of how we think of prophecy. That's not what biblical prophecy is. Biblical prophecy is so precise and so accurate that I like to call it the telling of history prior to its happening. And you say, well, Phil, that's impossible. Nobody can tell history prior to its happening. And that's right, except one person can. And that is the person who controls that history. So I want to add a different phrase to you before we get into Daniel 11 this morning. I want to add a different uh, phrase to you, and I want to call it biblical providence, all right? And I'm going to call it this. Biblical providence means that God is actively related to and involved in his creation at each moment. Now, that's, a, that's just a pregnant sentence, and you're saying that's too much for me to write down and take a picture or something, because that's not mine, it's Wayne Grudem's, but it's good, okay? And it's good because it's telling you that God is actively related to and involved in his creation, and I love the last part, at each moment. This is why biblical prophecy works. Not because God knows what's going to happen, but because God works in such a way, and you'll see that at the end of the message, in such a way that he actually is engaged in moving the hearts and lives of people so that it does happen. And, and that's an important distinction. Let me um, talk you through two concepts here real quickly. One is the idea of deism. I'm going to put that over here. Deism says God created the world, spun it into existence, and walked away. He's not involved at all. And, and it doesn't take long, if you're kind of flipping through social media, before you begin to see people talk about the world like that. God may have started it, but 
how do I look at all that's going on and the wars in Ukraine? How do I look at all of that and expect that God's even involved in that? So some people just kind of say, God started it, but that's all he did. Pantheism on this other extreme says God is so involved that he actually is in the creation. He's in the pew in front of you. He's in the air around you. He's in the walls. He's not only in the church, but he's in your house, in things. He's in trees. He's in things. But that doesn't allow God to actually move and accomplish what he needs to do to be involved and actually move and manipulate his creation. Biblical providence says something completely different. It says God created it, and God is still controlling it. And this is the lesson for us to understand about biblical prophecy. In fact, I used to think that whenever I'd hit a prophetic passage in the Bible, I'd get so excited because I'd say, I can't wait to do this because it's going to show everybody that the Word of God is true because nothing else can do this. Only the Word of God can do this. And that's true. But I think there's a deeper level behind even the fact that the Word of God can be absolutely trusted and authoritative and true. That's why its prophecies come true. I think there's something deeper. It is the fact that the God who inspired to write the Word is still controlling history through providence so that these prophetic things will come to pass. So at the end, I'm going to give you a couple of how-tos, how God actually does that, okay? Stay with me for that for a second. But before I do that, I have to introduce you to some other ideas that work with this text. The first one is when, the second one is where, the next one is what, and then we'll get to the how. Okay, so that's kind of where we're heading this morning. So I just got to pause and give you the when. Here's the when, all right? You are going to be introduced to people in this particular text, like King Cyrus, like King Xerxes, like Alexander the Great, like Bernice, like Laodicea, like Antiochus II, and like Antiochus Epiphanes. We'll wait for the really bad guy next week, okay? But, but you're going to be introduced to all of these characters in this text in one chapter. In fact, in my walk through the Bible book, it said there's over 100 prophecies in this one chapter. You say, are we, please, Phil, are we going to do all of those today? Okay. No, we're not going to do all of those today. I just can only give you a handful of them today because I want you to see that this is our God who is working. What's significant about these prophecies is you can see that you have one that's happening in the box there in 486 to 465. That's King Xerxes. You have uh, Alexander the Great. That's the 300s. You have uh, Antiochus II. That's the 200s. And you have Antiochus Epiphanes. That's in the 100s. All BC. That's why we're moving towards the zero date, right? So watch this. Daniel writes about these things in 536, 5 to 530 BC. He's writing... 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, and 400 years in advance of them happening. You just got to let that thought settle in for a little bit. That is why one study Bible says the detail of this history is so minute and accurate, so confirmed by history, that unbelieving critics without evidence insisted that it was actually written 400 years later than Daniel would have lived. They basically said somebody inserted it. That, that could not happen like that. Somebody inserted it. But the thing is, there's no evidence that somebody inserted it. It was always engaged as the writing of Daniel. There isn't any external evidence and no internal evidence. It is Daniel's writing. So this is the when, right? Daniel is prophesying 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years before some of these events that we're about to look at happen. And he gets them accurate. That's because God not only prophesied it, but is working in the hearts of those people to accomplish it. That's the providence of God connecting to the prophecy of God. 
Now, let me talk to you through um, basically the where, okay? So I just have to take you back there again because you're going to hear kings of the north, kings of the south, and you might think, whoa, what is this? Like, is this America in a civil war or something? No, it has nothing at all to do with that, okay? It has everything to do with this, that we're going to talk about what we call the Seleucid Empire. That's the northern kingdoms. And that's just not going to be one king. It's going to be multiple kings. And then we're going to talk about the Ptolemaic Empire. That's the southern kingdom down around Egypt. And what makes these kingdoms important is not that they're just battling, but there's a red target in the middle, right? You, you recognize that red circle? Okay. It's a country in the world that is essentially almost identical in shape and size to the state of New Jersey. Right? In fact, if, you ever, if you've never been to Israel, um, but you've been to New York City, then you know how big Israel is. Because it's roughly shaped like New Jersey, and it's like going from exit two up to uh, Jersey City and that exit, that's about 90 miles, that's about what Israel is like. So, and it's about the same left to right, and it's, hey, look, it's even got the Mediterranean Sea, like, we have the shore. Okay, so it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Okay. You totally get it. You know, you know this place even though you may never have been there. But here's what you got to know. That these battles that are about to take place over hundreds of years were going to take place with the northern kingdom coming down through Israel and the southern kingdom coming up through Israel. This is like they're just in the middle, right? And so that's the where. We've talked about the when. We've talked about the where. Okay. Now we're ready to talk about the what. So take your Bibles and go with me to Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. And I'm going to jump, jump over verse 1, but I'm going to come back to verse 1 in a moment. <laughs> but I'll just give you the context of verse 1. The context of verse 1 is this is an unnamed angel speaking. So this is an unnamed angel. Some have thought it could have been Gabriel. We know it's not Michael because Michael's the one who supports him. Um, but the angel isn't named in this passage. But he's speaking. And you know he's speaking because if you just go back up into chapter 10, um, um, in Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel hears from this particular angel. And then he, said, then he said, verse 20, do you not know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. I love that. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So here's Michael, the, the, the angel that is taking care of Israel. And this particular unnamed angel says, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Just for a moment, get that. Daniel serves under all these other leaders, and this angel says, oh, by the way, Darius was strengthened, Darius was confirmed because I was helping, okay? A pagan leader was confirmed, was strengthened because an angel was doing the work. And then he says, verse 2, and now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against the kingdom of Greece. Now, let me just talk to you about that for a second, all right? See this phrase here, behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia? That's prophesied. Now, just for a moment, that's the prophecy. But I want to fast forward to the time where Daniel has died. He's no longer living, but his, the prophecy of Daniel is there. He's no longer living, so he can't change it, what he wrote. And here's what actually happens. There actually are three more kings that follow King Cyrus, Cambius, Smyrtus, and uh, Darius Histopus. Now, you, you just got to know that some of these names are going to get repeated, and that's because there's, 
there's like 10 Ptolemies, there's a whole bunch of Seleucids, there's like, it's, it's like, it's like these parents name their kids all with the same name, okay? So you're just generations of names changing. So you just, you got to be careful when you read Darius that you don't think it's the Darius in verse 1. It's not. It's another Darius who follows, but that's the picture. There's three kings that follow. And it ends with one king following, the fourth being richer than all of them, who was King Xerxes, who we assume as we read through the Scripture that is the same king that is explained in the book of Esther as the king Ahasuerus. In other words, we know his wealth. And if you've ever read the book of Esther, you know, like, he's a king who's got a lot, he's a king who's got a lot of power, and he's over all of Persia. Greece hasn't showed up yet. What we also know about Xerxes is this that he attempted to go down and battle the kingdom of Greece. Okay, now, Greece isn't there yet. Remember, here's the order. Um, Babylon, Medes and Persians, Greeks, Romans. That's the, that's the big timeline. So we know that he goes down and battles that, and he stirs up the Greeks. And that probably wasn't a good thing to do because of the very next verse, which says this. There a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And almost all scholars agree that we're talking about Alexander the Great here, okay? And you'll see that in a second, why that is. But just note this. Alexander the Great, so you got the Babylon Empire, then you got the Media Persian Empire. This is all earlier Daniel stuff. You can go back and watch the YouTube if you forgot where we are in the timeline. And now you have the Greeks, okay? And the Greeks, you may remember, um, were led by Alexander the Great, who at age 32 wept because there was no more land to conquer. Okay. I love that. He, any, uh, any media tycoon you see that rises and you say, man, how is that guy making a, a bajillion dollars on YouTube? He's only 14 years old, okay? Anybody you thought was in control as a young person didn't have anything over Alexander the Great, okay? He's 32 and he has conquered the entire known world. That's why multiple thousands of books have been written about Alexander the Great. That's why military people study Alexander the Great because of what he did, right? And you may remember that Alexander the Great, earlier in the book of Daniel, we discovered that his Greek empire was described as a leopard with four heads and four wings. How many of you remember this, right? Remember the picture? Okay, good. You're still with me. Great. Okay. So back then it was described pictorially in Daniel. Here it's being described in detail in Daniel, in absolute detail. Because, look at what it says. After giving reference to his kingdom in verse 3, it says, verse 4, and as soon as he has arisen, that is Alexander the Great, his kingdom shall be broken. That's right. That's exactly what happened. That's the prophecy. It hasn't happened yet. It's 100 years removed from Daniel writing it. That's the prophecy. Over here is the history. The history is that's exactly what happened. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds. Remember, the leopard had four heads, the leopard had four wings. Now we have four winds. And what does that describe? That describes the four generals that actually took over Alexander the Great's kingdom. There wasn't one to rise up and take it. By, by the way, look at something else in this text real quickly. See how it says, uh, but not his posterity. That's because Alexander the Great... It's, it's prophesied he won't have a posterity. Alexander the Great had two sons, and they were killed. This is history, 100 years later. His two sons were killed, and so the kingdom was divided among four of his generals. And all of that area of the Greek empire went to, went to these four different generals who began to rule. Now, for just a moment, okay, i got to show you the slide again so you see it. Daniel's writing in 536 B.C., all of this is happening in 350 
6 B.C. Just let that settle in. We are 200 years removed from when this is written, and it's writing, it's revealing history that had never happened, but happened exactly as the Bible said it would happen. You just, okay, you just got to let that thought settle in a bit. That's like you going over to Philadelphia, walking in, uh, walking in Independence Hall and seeing a record of something by name for you in the Declaration of Independence, something that was written 200 years ago, right? That's like National Treasure rolling it over and you seeing your name on the back, okay? That's what this is like. It's 200 years removed, and it is precisely accurate to the, to the very number of generals that will divide the kingdom. But it isn't only that those generals divide the kingdom. It's that two of those generals divide the kingdom further. Seleucus and Ptolemy. You say, wait, wait a minute. I thought I saw those words before. Yes, you did. You saw those words when we were talking about the where of this battle. The northern king was the Seleucid king, and the southern king was the Ptolemic king, and now you know that these are these two generals, and they're converging and running their war right through Israel all the time. That's how this is happening. But it's happening, may I remind you again, it's prophesied here 200 years earlier, but it's happening in real time in 325 B.C., exactly the way God said it would. Now, here's what else happens. Look at this, verse 5. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. Now, I've got to stop there for a second and take you back to these two kings, because here's exactly what happened. You have Ptolemy. He is going to be the southern kingdom, right? You have Seleucus. He's going to be the northern kingdom. Except when Seleucus first took control of that northern portion of the kingdom, there was another king. There was another general, uh, a general by the name of Antagonus. Antagonus overtook that kingdom, and so Seleucid, of all people, ran down to Ptolemy, and he started working for Ptolemy. Of course, this is fascinating because now you have one guy who's going to be a general, but now he's going to work for the southern kingdom, and so he works for the southern king, and then, watch this, uh, let me go this way, he goes back, one of his princes, that is, one of the Ptolemy's king, uh, generals, who will be Seleucus, shall be stronger than he, he gets stronger, and he goes back to his own country, and his authority shall be a great authority. And so here's what happens. All of a sudden, in that whole process, you have these two kings, one who worked for the other, but now they're fighting with each other, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. I love this. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. So let me just talk about that phrase for a second. Now, I told you earlier on that there's 100 prophecies here, and there are so many names you can't possibly, even if, you're, even if you were a scholar and did this all, for all your life, it's going to be hard to keep them all straight. I'm going to show you what my ESV study Bible shows, okay? That, that's what's going on, okay? That picture is just to show you there's a lot of names, and, and they're all somehow related to one another. So that's just to tell you, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on just one section of that. But take a look at this verse again. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. Stop. I've got to remind you again. This is prophecy. It's written back in 536 B.C. This is reality. It's happening in 325 um, B.C. This is 200 years removed when it actually happens. Watch this. See it? King of the daughter of the king of the south... Okay, so down here in the Ptolemic Empire, 
king of the north, they're going to make an agreement. This is exactly what happens. Now, you may not be able to see this, but here it is, Telemi III, he is the king of the south. See, he's already the third Telemi. There's a whole bunch more of them coming too. Okay, so he's the third one, right? And now you have uh, Antiochus II, not Antiochus Epiphany, he's further down the food chain, but up here, Antiochus II, okay? So you have these two kings, one's the king of the north, one's the king of the south. The king of the south makes an alliance with his daughter, whose name is uh, Berenice. Berenice is the king of the south's daughter, and he says, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you go up there and marry the king of the north, okay? Now, um, if you're about to get married or you're thinking you're dating somebody, you just need to know, be thankful you get a choice, okay? Because it didn't used to be like that, right? It's like, hey, I need an alliance, I need my daughter, go up there and marry this guy. Okay, this is a bad scenario because if you can see off to the right of Antiochus' name, there's a, another woman's name by the name of Laodice. And that particular woman was his previous wife. Okay. She, um, he divorces her because he's trying to work this alliance with the South to bring these two kingdoms together that have been fighting all the time. The problem is uh, Laodice doesn't care for that very much. And so she poisons his new wife, okay? Not making this up. This is exactly how it happens. Poisons his new wife, and when she's doing that, she decides to poison her ex-husband too, right? And they both die, okay? And so there's going to rise somebody else in that kingdom. Now, go back and look at the text again. This is, for some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. That's the marriage, Right? But she shall not retain the strength of her arm. Why? Because she was poisoned and she died. Okay. That's why. And he and his arm shall not endure. Why? Because he was poisoned and he died. Okay. You, you can't make this stuff up, right? It's like right there, exactly the way that it happened. But she shall be given up and her attendants, he who fathered her and who supported her in those times. Now, watch this. Keep reading. Verse 6. And from a branch from her roots, one shall rise and take his place. Okay, I've got to take you back to the, map, uh, the, to, the, to the family tree again. See how Telemi III, this isn't difficult. Telemi III has a son. What do you think they name him? Telemi IV, that's exactly right. That's how it's going to work, okay? Telemi III has a son. They name him, they name him Telemi IV. However, Telemi IV is the brother to the woman who was poisoned. You think he took kindly to that? No. And so, look what happens. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. This is exactly what Telemi IV does. He says, those Seleucids that are up there in the north, they poisoned my sister. I'm going to attack them. That's the history. That's exactly what happened in the history, exactly the way that it was prophesied 200 years earlier. That's exactly how it happened. And he also, I love this, and he also will carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their previous vessels of silver and gold. Just think about this for a second. That's what the Bible says is going to happen 200 years later. You know what history reports? It reports that Telemi IV went up there and he attacked and he actually took their capital. And while he was at their capital, he kind of swept in all of their idols and all their other things, and some of them had been Egyptian idols that had already been taken up there, and so he took those back too. And he took them all back, and he went right back to Egypt with all of them, exactly the way that the Scriptures said it would happen. It's just that the Scriptures told the history 200 years before it ever happened. 
And we've only covered about five prophecies. There's over 100. I just want you to know that from here on out, they're exactly like that. You can look at your Bible, and you can look at the history. You say, well, Phil, how can I do that if I want to do more on that, okay? But I would encourage you to do any study Bible you pick up, an ESV study Bible, MacArthur study Bible. Most study Bibles you pick up are going to tell this history right in the notes and connect it right up to the actual prophecy. Amazing. It's amazing. The war continues, though, doesn't it? Chapter 11, verse 9, then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. And all of this happens. His son shall raise rage war and assemble a multitude of great forces which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through. And again and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Ptolemy the fifth, Ptolemy the sixth, Seleucid the third, Seleucid the fourth, Seleucid the fifth. Just keep changing the numbers, and the same thing happens. And all the while, they're just traping through the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are just crashing through Israel. And then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but shall be given into his hand. Literally, history records there were 10,000 soldiers that died in this battle. That's what the history records. 200 years after it was prophesied. And not only did those so even though he brought all of these soldiers down there, they lost. And it's, just to tell you how accurate history is, when you start to look at this history, they'll give you the count of the soldiers, they'll give you the count of the foot soldiers, they'll give you the count of the horses, and they'll even give you the count of the elephants. Okay. That's crazy. And what God says is hundreds of years before, this is what's going to happen. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, just another one of the Ptolemaic side, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. He lost. He lost. He lost big time, and he couldn't prevail. And here we go. On to the story again. And the king of the north shall rise again, Raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years, 15 years pass, historically, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies, and that's exactly what happens. Okay. That's the what, okay? We talked about the where, we talked about the when, we talked about the what. Now, this is the applicational side. You say, Phil, that's kind of cool. Like, I mean, it's great that the Bible works like that. I can, I can see, I can have confidence in my Bible. But remember, there's a deeper level of what's going on, not just prophecy being accurate, not just prophecy being accurate, but God's providence at work. And this is where we find encouragement. Can I take you back to the statement again? Biblical providence means that God is actively related and involved in his creation at each moment. Sometimes we see that, right? Just be honest with me. Sometimes we see God actively involved. We, we run into someone we should not have a conversation with, and there it is, right, right in front of us. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences, but I always kind of step back and think, like, look, I had a chance recently to talk to somebody on a plane that I should never have been able to talk to. And, and I just got, and I, when they left, I started thinking about that, and I thought, like, that's weird. Like, I'm always in the back of the plane because I always forget to go in there and get my ticket early, right? And so there's only a few seats left by the time I get in there. I'm in the back of the plane. What's the chance that I'm in the back of the plane doing what I'm doing and start a conversation, and all of a sudden somebody right next to me starts another conversation about it? Like, that stuff is the providence of God. But we often don't see it, do we? We often don't realize that God is intimately involved in all of creation, working and moving 
And that should help us. Like if you're anxious, if you're worried, if you're looking at your life and you're looking at the news and you're saying, what's next? Just for a moment, pause and know that whatever is next, God doesn't only know about it, okay? God is actively working in it, right? That's where the hope is. You know, I want to know that God is actively working in it. So then I started thinking, when I look at this passage of Daniel, what if I looked at it through the providence of God? What could I learn about how God accomplishes his work in creation? Let me give you the first one. Here it is. This is how the providence of God works. And I, there's a lot more to it, and I'm not, trying to, uh, I'm not trying to think I can even by any means plumb the mystery. I just want to point out to you some things in this text that can cause you to say, whoa, I get a little bit more of an understanding of it. Here's the first one. Spiritual forces are always at work even though we cannot see them. Spiritual forces are always at work even though we cannot see them. Remember I said, let's talk about Daniel 11 for just a moment. I skipped over verse 1. And as for me, says this unnamed angel, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is remarkable. The... My angel, Michael, strengthened, same term used, same, same English word at least, used of this, of what he did for this unnamed angel when that angel was in a spiritual warfare. And here we are um, in verse 1 with this angel saying, I had to do that with a human entity. The only thing is, Darius the Mede never knew that. Darius the Mede never reported that. Darius the Mede never stood up and said, well, glad I was strengthened by an angel last night. You very rarely see this kind of, you very rarely see the curtain pulled back and get a good look at angels working. There's a few places in the Bible where you do. This is one of them. Think of another one. Um, The angel coming to Joseph when Jesus was going to be born. The angels at the tomb or the resurrection. The angels strengthening Jesus after his temptation in Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4. The angels strengthening Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's supposed to go. But for the most part, we don't see these angels. But there are myriads of them. And the reason providence works is because God has control not only of the things down here, but the things in heaven as well. So when there's evil forces that we can't see that come against, God says, whoops, whoops, up, 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 here we go. And he brings his, his angelic forces against those issues. And this isn't meant to sound like spooky or creepy. It's meant to sound realistically. This is it, right? You are not alone, You are not alone when you're facing difficulty. You're not the only one in the dark room. There's forces working on your behalf that you cannot see. Now, remember, go back uh, to where we just finished this in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel prayed three times a day. And actually, the angel came as an answer to his prayer, but he didn't come when he immediately prayed. Unfortunately, we don't pray that way. We pray and, uh, and just hit the panic button when we have a request, and then we say, amen, Lord, where's my answer? Okay. And, and there's forces, spiritual forces moving in response to your prayer, and that doesn't happen like immediately when you hit the panic button. 
So you just got to remember, spiritual forces are always at work, even though we cannot see them. And as for me, this angel said, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm him. And then I love this. He says, now I will show you the truth. Okay, now I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, Daniel, this is the prophecy, but I'm going to tell it to you, and it's going to take place long after you're dead, 200 years after you're dead, 300 years after you're dead, and 400 years after you're dead, it's going to take place. Okay. That's the work that's going on behind the scenes. And the reason providence works is because God's got control of both of those and of the other side. Remember, we said in, it, we just read this morning in Daniel chapter 4 that he was over heaven and over the host of the earth. And remember how Jesus prays, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, finish it with me on earth as it is in, there you go. So when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're nervous, you got to know in the providence of God, God has it covered. He didn't just spin the world into existence and say you're on your own. He said, I'm working that side as well. Here's the second idea. God is in the details. I love this. His idea of greatness is altogether different than ours. Okay. God is in the details. His idea of greatness is altogether different than ours is. And I'll show you this. In one of the things that kind of caught me off guard when I was reading through the text, right? Remember how I said Alexander the Great has thousands of books written about him? If you were to go back around that time frame, you would just know that this man um, who lived, uh, what is that, 325, another, uh, 20, two, over 2,000 years ago, 2,300 years ago. Alexander the Great, who lived some 2,300 years ago, this man has thousands of books written about him. I want to show you how God talks about him, right? Our world says he's the greatest. That's why he's called Alexander the what? Great. This is what God says. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And a sentence. Okay. You understand that Thousands of books have been written. In fact, one of my favorite titles is this, A Short History of Alexander the Great. It was 216 pages. Okay. I thought to myself when I saw the title, that's not a short history. This is a short history. Okay. Our people say, all, everybody around us says, this person's the greatest. Look at what this guy's doing. Look at what this guy's doing. Look at what this guy's doing. He's got 40-some billion dollars, and he just, you know, the rest of that story, right? He, that's how we look at the world. I just want you to understand this. That is not how God looks at the world. He looks at the world this way. Oh, yeah, he's a mighty king. He came and went, 32 years of age. He moved off the scene, and the kingdom was divided, and he went to somebody else. God looks at the big guy that way because God looks at the little guy, and he's working with the little guy too. Okay. We don't think that way. And that is why we look for little blue check marks in the back of a Twitter account to see if it's worthy of following, right? Because it's got more followers or whatever. That's not how God's looking at it. Our God says, big guy, mm, okay. Little guy, I'm working those details too. And that is how the providential hand of God works in all of these details. Because his idea of greatness is altogether different than ours. Here's the final one. Fulfilled prophecy is a reminder that God is providentially in control of everything. If you could take one idea away from this morning, I would want you to capture this, that when you read something that was written hundreds of years before it actually happened, 
you should be able to say, my God is in control. He's in control. He's so much in control, and he didn't forget. I mean, this is me. I can forget something by the time I leave here this afternoon. If you ask me to remember something for 200, 300, 400 years, that's not going to happen. Okay. But that's not how God works. God said, I set it back here, working through providence. I'm going to make it happen here. And that should be so encouraging to each of us that the events in your life are not random events. They're coming from the providential hand of God. In fact, maybe another way to say that is the way that Wayne Grudem captured it. When it comes to providence, the biblical doctrines not teach that events in creation are determined by chance or randomness, and I love this balance, nor that they are determined by impersonal fate or determinism. So you can say, okay, I just think they all happen randomly, right? God spun the world into existence, it just happens. And another person might say, no, 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 what's the use? It's all going to happen anyhow, so it doesn't matter like what I do. It doesn't matter what I do. It's all going to happen anyhow, right? Not so. Not so. It's not predetermined that we are impersonal to it. Why? Because God, who is the personal yet infinitely power creator, powerful creator and Lord, that's who determines it. And he is personally and intimately involved with you and with me. Wow. I don't know why I never saw that before in prophecy. That God not only prophesies it, but he enables it to happen. And the moment that happened, I noticed two other things. And here they are. I had you read with me two passages this morning. I want to point out to you two phrases, Old Testament and New Testament. Here it is. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Finish it for me. And what? According to his will. Right. God stays personally involved in the details to make sure that it happens in the way that it should happen. You say, okay, I can appreciate that, Phil. What do I do with really, really bad people in the world where really, really bad things happen, like Antiochus Epiphanes? Okay. And my answer to that is come back next week and find out, okay? Because I recognize there's challenges here. That's not my purpose this morning. My purpose this morning is to remind you that God does exactly according to his will. Not only in the Old Testament, but look at the New Testament. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, finish it with me, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Perfect. And now you know the how of providence. God's going to make it happen according to his will. But you don't yet know the why. Why? Because up until now, I've been talking to you as if the why was about you, right? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God's got it covered. He's got angelic forces working on your behalf as you pray. He's, got, he's, he's, he's working all things in his providential control for you. And the Bible is true about that. But that's not the real why. The real why of why God works all of those things out for his will isn't about you. It's the last phrase that's highlighted. Just say it with me. To the praise of his glory. That's right. Ultimately, everything we studied this morning is simply to point to God and say, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And when we get off 
off kilter. We look at the world around us. We can't make sense out of it. We can't see what God is doing. We're frightened. We're worried. We're nervous. And we forget that whatever is happening, it's happening according to his will and for this reason, for the praise of his glory. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning, for the way it shapes our thinking, for the way it comforts us, for the way it reminds us that it's not all about us, it's about you. We've just taken a glimpse at only a handful of verses, Lord, and we've been reminded that, that you were in control, like perfectly in control. And yet I know we tend to doubt that you are in control of some of the events of our lives. May all that we do, Lord, be not for ourselves, but for the praise of your glory. May we trust in your providence this week. May we know that you're intimately, actively involved in the events of our life, moment by moment. And may we find comfort in that. In Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.